count it always a privilege when Jason uh, relinquishes the pulpit to me. And I really appreciate this particular one because this passion, passage of Deuteronomy is dear to my heart. And everyone, you know, I know you laugh about how much Ron likes Torah and how boring it can be. And we are in a book that is famous for its repetition, just repeating things that have already been uh, found before. But I find the book of Deuteronomy very interesting. Um, there's very little that we're going to learn new from Deuteronomy. Uh, most of what has been written has been written before in other books. Um, there are lots of interesting things in Deuteronomy. Uh, like one we see in chapter 3, verses 25 through 29, where Moses, the great leader of the nation of Israel himself, will not enter the land. Uh, I would love to just camp here for a little while and consider the Lord's purpose in denying Moses this request. Uh, but this would, uh, uh, this would be a very interesting study, but it's inconsequential for the reason God has uh, decided to devote a whole book to repeating himself. Uh, there, there are not many things that I hate. I usually reserve that word for the most offensive of things. Uh, yeah, I hate the Steelers. Now, I hate things like when people use the shoulder of the road as a lane. I hate when traffic backs up. I hate when the chef overcooks my steak. And I hate to repeat myself. However, God doesn't seem to mind. Um, in fact, he likes to repeat himself. But he never does it without purpose. And he often does it for effect. So to take a whole book of the Bible and repeat so many things, there's got to be a significant reason for it. Deuteronomy is no exception to this repetition. He wants Israel to remember and not to forget. This is the theme of Deuteronomy. This portion especially is the theme. This theme uh, to remember centers around the most sacred of Hebrew prayers, and that, that is called the Shema. So let us turn there and read the Shema. Uh, that would be Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all of your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind. And you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your houses, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. You should um, tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead and inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. And I'm sure you've seen the Orthodox Jewish people with the, the leather straps around their arms and the box on their forehead. That's what they're doing. Uh, when you go to a Jewish home, you'll see a scroll on the left-hand side of the... Uh, excuse me the left-hand side of the doorpost, um, and that is what they're doing. They're putting the Word of God on their doorposts and on their gates, on their foreheads and on their forearms. And it is the wish of every Jewish man or woman to die with this prayer on their lips. And so this theme of remembering is what it's all about. Remember what God has done for you in the past, 
Israel, so that you can have confidence that he can take care of you in the future. The Israelites are about to go through a paradigm shift. Major things are about to change in their lives. This paradigm shift, and like all paradigm shifts, is oftentimes unnerving. You're filled with fear, anxiety, concern as to what this paradigm shift might look like. What are some of the things that are about to change for Israel? Moses will not enter the promised land, as we see in Deuteronomy 3.25-29. Joshua will be the new leader, Deuteronomy 3.28. Aaron will die and his son will become high priest, Deuteronomy 10.6. Manna from heaven will cease, and no more water from the rock. And the nation will be transformed from a nation of nomads to a nation of warriors. Major paradigm shift. And whenever this happens, the community gets nervous. But remember that God has done this before. The other paradigm shift for Israel was when they came out of the promised land, when they came out of Egypt. And God made another paradigm shift. And they went from being a slave nation into being a free nation. They went from being ruled by the whip to being ruled by the law of God. They went from being poor to being rich. Remember, they took a lot of booty with them when they left Egypt. Uh, From being helpless on the banks of the Red Sea to being protected by a mighty God across the Red Sea. And this is what God wants Israel to remember about what he did for them in the past, so that when this paradigm shift that's coming in the future, they're ready for it. They know God can take care of them. But this just doesn't happen in the Old Testament. This is true today. Just like the nation of Israel goes through paradigm shifts, our world is going through a paradigm shift right now. And a lot of people are anxious and full of fear and worry and unnerved by what's going on in our world today. Some of the things that we, have, we are facing right now is economic paradigm shift, where we have 10% unemployment in the United States, 20% underemployment. There's no safe place to invest anymore. It used to be that your grandmother could invest in utilities and count on a return, but Enron ended that. It used to be that munis were a safe place to put your money, municipal bonds. But with cities and states and counties filing for bankruptcy, that's no longer a safe place. It used to be that you could count on a mortgage-backed security to be paid back. That doesn't happen anymore. And real estate always went up. Not anymore. This this has unnerved people. Think of this. The U.S. government lends out money at 0% and then borrows it back at 3%. It unnerves people when people do things like that. Economic growth is stagnant and we're facing a double-diff recession as it looms out in the future, not too far away. We have political unrest. We have a political paradigm shift. The U.S. is involved in three wars with no end in sight. There is a rebellion within the Muslim Middle East where they're calling for the removal of a stable democracy, uh, a dictatorship, 
and demanding democracy, which is most likely going to result in neither stability nor democracy. We're having riots in the streets of London. And these kind of things unnerve people. It makes them nervous. We have social unrest and paradigm shifts. World poverty, famine in Savalia. Famine, uh, uh, Chris, where, where was the famine you mentioned in Ethiopia? Somalia. Somalia. Bloodshed in the Congo. Human trafficking, slaves. Four million U.S. citizens are about to lose their unemployment benefits. They're going to statistically drop off the face of the earth. And what I want you to know is that no matter what kind of paradigm shift we're about to face, no matter what it's going to look like in the future, God can take care of us, and we know because of what he's done for us in the past. And this doesn't just apply to nations, but it also applies to you personally and individually. You can know that God will be able to take care of you through your personal paradigm shifts by reminding you how he has carried you through other challenges. I often find it difficult to share personal stories, but today I'm going to share a personal story with you. I faced my own personal challenge in, recently, and I'll give you the thumbnail sketch of what I've been struggling with. In 2010, I needed to have cataract surgery, and that's pretty unusual for a young guy. But the vision was fine for about two years. In fact, I saw better after the cataract surgery than I ever did before it. But then, for some reason, my vision began fogging. Sometimes in one eye, sometimes in the other eye, sometimes in both eyes. But it would come and go. So I went to see my doctor, the same one who did the cataract surgery. And he said, there's, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. I want you to go see your primary care doctor. So I went to see my primary care doctor, and he says, other than you being fat, you're a perfectly healthy individual. I want you to go see a blood flow specialist. So I went to see this blood flow, flow specialist, and he says, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your eyes. So I went, he suggested that I see an optic nerve specialist. So I went to see an optic nerve specialist. And he says, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. So he said, go back to your primary, to, to the ophthalmologist that did the uh, cataract surgery. And so uh, when I went back to him, he said that uh, it's all in your head. I just want you to learn to live with it. And quite frankly, I took him at his word. And I tried to learn to live with it for about two years. Uh, but the episodes became more frequent and more severe. So I returned to the doctor, the one that did the cataract surgery in July of this year, just a couple of months ago. Um, he noticed that I was having some pigment dispersion. And the pigment on the, on the iris of your eye was flaking off and filling the fluid within my eye, and it was hard to see through that foggy fluid. Sort of like trying to look through a snow globe, if you can imagine that. Um, so he told me to uh, take these drops that would fix and dilate my eyes. I don't know if you've ever had your eyes dilated, but it makes it difficult to see in bright light. 
So I had to live my life like a rat. I would be active during dawn and dusk, and that was it, because I couldn't see when I was out in bright light. And I make my living doing visual inspections. I want you to imagine that there's this guy who comes into your place of business or your home, and he does this visual inspection, and he says, you have no problem. I want you to sign this contract here. And he pulls out a hand lens so he can see the contract. How much confidence did you have in that visual inspection that he just did? Not a whole lot. And it was making my life miserable, not being able to see clearly. And it was worse now because now, even though I had the uh, episodes from time to time, in between the episodes, I could see pretty good. It was only during these episodes. So now I can't see clearly at any time. And it was really getting frustrating. And he said, come back and see me after a month. So after that month, I went back again, and he says, gee, the, those drops didn't seem to help at all because you still had episodes. I cut it back about half, but that was all. Instead of being blind one day a week, I'd have these episodes. Instead of being, having these episodes two or three times a week, I'd have maybe once a week. But I was having difficulty seeing seven days a week now, so it was, it was not helping. He says, but what I want you to do, Ron, is the next time you have an episode, I want you to come into the doctor's office and see me. Be persistent with the people about getting in and making sure that either I or one of my colleagues see you when you're having one of these episodes. So, over the weekend, over this past weekend, I got a call from my sister who told me that my mother had just had a stroke. And she was in the hospital. And Monday morning, I go into the, my office with the, in, with, with the idea of getting done what I have to get done and then going down to Delaware to see how my mom is doing. And while I'm sitting at my desk, I begin to have one of these episodes. And the vision gets cloudier and cloudier and cloudier to the point where it was virtually black. I couldn't see anything. And so I told my office manager, look up Wilmer Eye Institute's phone number, give it to me. I called them. I said, I need to see my doctor right away. They said, great, I'll give you an appointment a week from next, from, from, the, from never. I said, no, he insisted that I see, he sees me today. They couldn't find him, so they sent me down there to see one of his associates. My plan was to let him look at my little problem and go off to Delaware and see my mom. Well, I get down to the doctor's office, and there's no doctor to see me. I have to sit and wait until one's available. In the meantime, they give me this technician who looks at my eyes and says, cover your left eye and read the chart with your right eye, the one that's having the episode. And I said, okay, where's the chart? It's on the wall. Which one? I couldn't read anything on the chart. It was a bright blur on the wall, and that was it. So... This episode got worse and worse and worse, and I was actually starting to see what appeared to be red color, where I believe my eyes were bleeding. And um, I'm sitting in this doctor's office waiting for a doctor to see me. And it kept getting worse. And finally, a doctor came in, and he was very concerned. And he asked one of his colleagues to come in and look. 
and he was very concerned. And after about six or seven colleagues, they're all very concerned. They even called down to Wolf Street and had a whole bunch of interns come up to look at my very concerned eye. They're all very impressed with how concerned they are. And I still don't know what's wrong with my eye. So finally, one of the ophthalmologists starts telling me that he sees scar tissue within my eye, and he thinks it may be cancer. And I want you to go see an ophthalmological oncologist tomorrow. Now, you know it's exciting when it's tomorrow. You know, you can never get an appointment with a specialist unless it's a week from never. So tomorrow I go see this other doctor, and this doctor says, well, it looks like just scar tissue to me, not cancer. So I want you to go back to your regular doctor, and I want you to tell him he'll have a report for, to read, and he'll tell you what's going on. Okay? So I go back to the first doctor who did the cataract surgery, and he says, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. But it might be glaucoma. I want you to go see a glaucoma specialist tomorrow. And Friday, which was the day I went to see the glaucoma specialist, he does all these tests. I'm in his office from 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock. We're still trying to figure out what's wrong with my eyes. And what do you think he says? There's nothing wrong with my eyes. You're having pigment dispersion, but we don't know what's causing it. We haven't a clue what's causing it. And I'm pretty frustrated at this particular point in time. And after this week of not only medical roller coaster, but an emotional roller coaster from nothing wrong with your eyes to cancer to nothing wrong with your eyes to glaucoma to nothing wrong with your eyes and still not being able to see. I told Kathy, I says, look, I'm going to be off the grid for a little while. I'm going to go up to the NCR trail and I'm going to take a walk and I want to clear my head. And it was while I was walking on the NCR trail and praying and, and enjoying nature that God reminded me of all the ways in the past that he has taken care of me. And he would get me through this as well. Because I remember 15 years ago, the doctors telling my wife that she had 90 days to live. I can remember when Kathy had reconstructive surgery and she was infected and none of her wounds would close. And she's still with us today. 15 years of medical miracles in my wife's life, I knew that God could do medical miracles in mine too. So I walked away or I came back from that walk, you might say, with these key things in mind. God is my God. And He is God of all. And He is able to keep me because He has kept me before in the past. And regardless of whether I'm blind or if I can see, my vision will always be clear because I'm going to first seek to fulfill His will in my life, and everything else is a distraction. And this reminds me 
of the Shema, because that is what it's all about. This little prayer, the Shema, is meant to remind you of who and what God is and what he can do for you when you're facing challenges. The most sacred of Hebrew prayers, it's very short. But it's meant to remind us of what he's capable of. Let's break down the Shema and look at what it really means. Listen, Israel, is the first line. God is saying, may I have your attention? I would like to tell you something very important. The Lord is your God. He is saying, I am God, and I am your God. And the Lord is one. The Hebrew word for one is akad. It is used to describe a single unity, like a bunch of grapes, a bunch of bananas. It's also used to describe a unit of foot soldiers, So it's meant to describe a plurality in oneness. And there have been some who have used this to describe the Trinity, but I'm not real comfortable with that interpretation. I think it says that God is a God of all things. Other nations worship multiple gods. You only have to worship one because he's God of all. You have, some of you have heard me say when I pray that God is a God of some obscure thing and that it's often been greeted with giggles. I remember one time I prayed for a family that was having trouble selling their real estate and I said, God is a God of real estate and everybody chuckled. I've also said in the past that God is a God of unemployment. I get the same kind of chuckle. And I've said God is a God of the eyes. It's not so funny for me, because God is a God of everything. And it's okay that you laughed. Maybe it'll remind you that God is God of all. There is nothing too big, nothing too small. Nothing in the whole universe that isn't under his control. And we are able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has your best interest at heart in the future because he had your best interest at heart in the past. So don't forget what God has done for you because you need to remember that to know that God can take care of you in the future. Now, we're going to do something really interesting and fun. We don't have a band to close out for us today. So we're going to do something really different. I'm going to teach you how to pray the Shema in Hebrew. Okay? And Hebrew is a language that's given to singing. So we're going to sing it. And we're going to close out with singing the Shema. And what I want you to do is I really want you guys to learn this. Because when you're walking down life's path and things get difficult, say the Shema. 
And those few words will remind you that God is a God of everything, who is capable of taking care of all your problems, and he is your God, and he loves you. So, it goes like this. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad. Can we give it a try? All right, we'll, we'll do it a couple times. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad. Let's try it together, a little louder this time. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Akkad. Okay, without me. Ready? <laughs> One more time. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Akkad. Very good. Give yourself a hand. Would you give the benediction?